Yeah. Uh, if you could please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Let me pray for, pray for our time together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have spoken to us most clearly. Um, and so, God, we, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to come here this morning to worship you and to hear your words spoken over us. Pray that you would be with me, help me to communicate clearly. Pray that I would decrease and you would increase. God, that our love and affection for you, Lord, would only grow as we learn more about you from your word. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17. says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the he put it under his head and lay down in a place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you, until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of God. So Jacob was out sleeping under the stars. He had a rock for a pillow. And as he was sleeping, he had a vision, he had a dream, and God met him in that dream. Um, many translations say that he saw a ladder going up into the heavens, um, but probably the best translation is probably a staircase. So he's envisioning this staircase with angels ascending and descending. And at the top of this staircase, Jacob sees the Lord. He sees God speaking down to him this word of blessing. God blesses him, and then God says to Jacob, I'm going to use you and your offspring to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, this structure that, that Jacob is, is envisioning in his dream, scholars tell us that this is probably something similar to a stepped pyramid that we would find in the ancient Near East uh, as ruins today. And what they would do in Jacob's time was they would build these pyramid-like structures, and they would put temples at the base of the structure. Um, think like the Tower of Babel. Um, they were building this tower to get to the heavens, but the goal was not to get to heaven. The goal was to actually bring God down to the temple 
It was a staircase that was meant to bring the gods down so that when the priest goes into the temple, they could pray and that the gods would, would hear the prayers of the prophets or the priests. And so this kind of pagan idea, uh, this idea that was probably the root behind the, the Tower of Babel, that they were not trying to get to heaven, they were trying to control God. They were trying to bring him down. They were trying to bring his blessing down. Jacob has a vision of a similar structure like this. But instead of God coming down to Jacob, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending. So the, the, the imagery that Jacob is, is, is observing is that of God pouring out his blessing through, um, through these angels over the, all over the earth. God is pouring out his blessing over the earth. But God is remaining at the top of the ladder. He is not being controlled by any man. He is the sovereign. He is in the control. He is not, um, Jacob did not go out into the wilderness to find God, to, to get to God. God came to, into the wilderness to go to Jacob. And that, that aspect of God's grace of coming to Jacob uh, is essential for understanding this passage. Um, today, uh, we are, through Christ, the offspring of Jacob. That the promises given to Jacob here that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations is our calling as much as it was Jacob's calling. And so today we want to look at three points briefly together. We want to look at our mission to bring blessing to the world, the problem that prevents us from bringing blessing to the world, and the blessing we need to be a blessing to the world. So three points, the mission, the problem, and the blessing that we need. And we're going to look at the life of Jacob But before we look at Jacob, uh, number one, the mission, what does it mean when God says that he will bring blessing to all the families of the earth through the offspring of Jacob? What does this blessing look like, and what does it have to do with us today? Really briefly, we need to see where Jacob's story fits within the wider story of what God's doing in the world and blessing the world. And to do that, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to when God first made man and blessed him. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed man. And in the context of that blessing, God also gave man a mission. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve experienced the wholeness and blessing of God's shalom. Eden was a place where there was no evil, disease, or death, and man experienced unhindered intimacy and fellowship with God. And God was calling man to multiply and spread this experience of wholeness and intimacy beyond the walls of the garden. Man was not only called to cultivate the garden, but to expand his borders all over the earth. Mankind was given the mission to fill, rule, bless creation under God's rule and blessing. But as the early chapters of Genesis tell us, that blessing, that experience of shalom that Adam and Eve experienced did not last. Instead of bringing God's blessing to all creation, instead, because of man's sin, a curse spread throughout all creation like a virus. But God, throughout the Bible, has promised to one day restore this blessing and wholeness, this shalom that was once experienced in the Garden of Eden. And we can trace God's promise 
of blessing and restoration through the stories of Noah, through the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and as we read, the story of Jacob and his offspring. Now, it's not until we actually get to Jesus that we begin to see truly the fulfillment of these promises and the full shape of our mission. In John chapter 1, a man named Philip ran up to his friend Nathaniel and excitedly, excitedly told him that we have found the Messiah. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. Now, Nathaniel, he responded to, to Philip by saying, what good can come out of Nazareth? Um, Phil, uh, Nathaniel was skeptical. Nathaniel said, um, Nathaniel later, he came to Jesus uh, to see what this, uh, this man was all about. And coming to him, Jesus said over Nathaniel, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel was like, how do you know me? And Jesus responded, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Which we don't know what that means. We don't know what happened. And I don't think John knew what was going on or he would have told us. Um, but whatever it was, it was obviously Jesus supernaturally knew what Nathaniel was doing. And Nathaniel instantly turned from a skeptic to a believer um, because of Jesus' words. And in John chapter 1, verse 50 to 51, Jesus says this. says, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So to explain to Nathaniel what Jesus was about to do through his ministry, Jesus pointed back to the story of Jacob. You see, in Jacob's dream, God spoke his blessing down from the top of the staircase. But what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is that through himself, God's blessing has come down. Jesus himself is the place where heaven and earth meet and where creation's need for God's blessing has finally come together. And that is why we see in the Gospels Jesus giving sight to the blind. That is why we see Jesus healing the sick, forgiving and embracing sinners and outsiders. This is why Jesus preached good news to the poor and the oppressed. These were all signs of the ultimate blessing that Jesus came to bring into the world. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the mission of Jacob and his offspring. The gospel is that Jesus lived the life of blessing that we could never live. He died the death that the curse, the curse that we deserve for our sin, he took that curse on himself. And because Jesus rose again, one day all God's people and all creation will be fully restored. And that blessing, that wholeness, that new creation, that started on the first Easter Sunday. And while we look forward to the day of final and full restoration through Christ, in the gospel, we can begin to experience that blessing as it changes our lives right now. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are called to be conduits of Jesus' blessing, uh, the blessing that Jesus came to give to the world. We are called to sacrifice and pray and to go into all the world and to bring the good news and blessing of Jesus to places that desperately need it. Places like Japan, places like Ethiopia and Ecuador and Woodside. In Christ, we are blessed to bring God's blessing to the world. That is our mission. Point number two, the problem. In Genesis 28, God met Jacob 
He blessed him, and he gave him this incredible calling to bring his blessing to the world. But there was one little problem with all of this. What was Jacob doing when God met him? The text tells us that God found Jacob sleeping alone in the wilderness with nothing but a stone for his pillow. Now, Jacob was from a wealthy family. He should have had servants and tents and really comfortable pillows, you'd imagine. And yet, Jacob was sleeping alone on that day's equivalent of a park bench. Not only that, but Jacob's life was an absolute mess, and his family was in ruins back home. What happened? Why was Jacob in exile? The answer is found in the previous chapter in Genesis 27. Perhaps you know this story. Isaac, Jacob's father, sensing that he was about to die, called his son Esau, Jacob's brother, to his side. Isaac instructed Esau to go out to kill something, to cook it, and bring it back, and that he would give a blessing to his son Esau. But while Esau was away, following his father's instructions, Jacob dressed up as his brother. He brought food to his blind and unwitting father and stole the blessing that was meant for Esau. Now, the text tells us that as soon as Jacob sneaks out, Esau returned um, with the food, expecting his father's blessing. But when Esau approached, Isaac asked him, who are you? At first, Isaac didn't understand what had happened. But then when he finally realized, the text tells us that he began to tremble violently. He knew that there was no going back. It was too late. Once the blessing had been given, it could not be removed. And when Esau realized finally what had happened, Esau cried out with a loud voice and began to beg his father to bless him. But Isaac had already given the full blessing to his brother Jacob. The only blessing left left to speak over Esau, if you look at the text of Genesis 27, was essentially a curse. And so Jacob brought shame on his father and stole the most valued thing in his brother's life. Jacob had torn his family apart and was forced to live in exile, all because he couldn't live without his father's blessing. Now you might be thinking, so what? It's just a blessing. It's just words. What's the big deal? You see, in America today, there is a general belief that we are self-made people. We have the freedom to shape our own identity, our own path in life. But in those days, in that agricultural society, your identity and calling in life were essentially assigned to you by your father, specifically through the blessing of your father. In the New Testament, the word blessing comes from the word, Greek word eulogeo, It's where we get the word eulogy from. And it literally means a good word. Today at funerals, we bless or eulogize people by speaking a good word back over their lives. We highlight the good things that the deceased have done. Uh, We share stories that make them um, show their significance to our lives. We celebrate their achievements and who they were. We bless them. So we speak a blessing back over their lives. But in Jacob's day, this eulogia was something, a good word that was spoken over a person's life. It was a good word that was meant to convey identity and significance. It was a good word that, depending on its source, had the power to shape the life of the one who was receiving the blessing. 
Now think for a moment. We all have someone in our lives whose eulogeo really matters to us. Whether we admit it or not, we all have someone who, if they were really to affirm us, they were to really bless us, it would change everything. Maybe for you, it's a father, maybe or your mother, maybe it's your spouse, a colleague. Maybe you've never met this person before, but if only they could see you for who you truly were and affirm you, it would be life transforming. Now, there is often an overlooked detail in this story. You see, Isaac didn't call Jacob to his side. Uh, Isaac didn't call Jacob to his side. He only called Esau. Now, in those days, you would never think of blessing only one of your sons. You would bless all of your sons. And so to have two sons and only bless one of them would have been the equivalent of cutting one child out of your will. It would be the equivalent of attending one son's wedding and not attending the other son's wedding. And so when we read between the lines of the story, we begin to see that not only did Jacob receive the blessing that belonged only to Esau, but Esau received the curse from his father that belonged only to Jacob. Do you see now why Jacob had to have the blessing of his father. Do you see why he risked everything to get it? His whole identity and significance was tied to this blessing. And Jacob had to have it. That's why Jacob was homeless and alone the night that God found him in the wilderness. And now do you also see the irony of the grace of God? The very person that God chose as his representative to bring blessing to all the families of the earth, had just destroyed his own family for the sake and pursuit of blessing. How could, someone, how could God possibly use someone like Jacob? But more to the point, how can God possibly use people like us? You see, we have the same problem that Jacob had. We are all just as obsessed with blessing whether it's through social media, fitting in with our friends and colleagues, going to the right school to please our parents. We are constantly being shaped by the blessing of others and the fear of losing their blessing. Um, when I was in elementary school, uh, there was this group of boys that I wanted to be friends with. And they just so happened to be the mean boys that were picking on the other kids. And so uh, to be their friends, I, I started to see myself doing the same things that they were doing and not, and, I finally stopped and realized, like, I'm doing all these things I don't want to do. Why am I doing this? And looking back, the reason was I was wanting their blessing. I was doing the things that they wanted me to do because I was desperate for their affirmation. Their blessing. And so when we are consumed by our need for blessing, it leads us to become inward-looking and fearful. It leads us to use others rather than seek to bless them. We become enslaved to their expectations. We become self-preserving rather than self-sacrificing with our lives. So we don't share our faith with our friends, and we don't publicly identify as Christians out of fear of losing our, their blessings. You see, we'll, we will never be a blessing to others if we are obsessed with having their blessing. And yet, God calls blessing addicts like you and me, like Jacob, to be conduits of God's blessing 
to others. So how can God use people like us to bring blessing to the world? Point number three, the blessing we need. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the Jordan River in his baptism. And they tell us that as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were torn open, and the people all around were able to audibly hear the voice of God. And what did they hear? They heard God's eulogio. They heard God's blessing over his son. God said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. I am so happy with you. I'm so pleased with you. At his baptism, Jesus was receiving the ultimate blessing from his father. But when we get to the cross, the moment of Jesus' greatest obedience to his father, at the moment when God should have pulled back the heavens and poured out his blessing on his son, what happened? Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead of the heavens opening, the gospels tell us that the land was cloaked in thick darkness. At the very moment when his father should have been most proud of his son, at the moment when Jesus should have heard the father's voice of affirmation and blessing, what did Jesus hear? He heard silence. What was happening? Jesus was receiving the curse from his father. You see, like Esau, Jesus received our curse so that we could receive his blessing. It is through the cross that Jesus' blessing becomes our blessing. That means that if we are in Christ, when God the Father looks down on you, doesn't matter how you've lived, doesn't matter who you are, if you are in Christ, God the Father looks down on you and says, you are my beloved child. I am so pleased with you. It's only to the degree that that blessing of Jesus becomes our ultimate blessing. The only blessing that truly matters to us, only then will we be able to truly be a blessing to others. As the blessing of Jesus becomes our ultimate source of identity and significance, we will be transformed and empowered to finally be a blessing to others. Today, God is calling this room full of broken people and blessing addicts to be a blessing to the world. God is calling us to live so secure in his blessing that we become radically other-centered. God is calling us to give and sacrifice and live vulnerably for the good and blessing of others. So let us press into the good news of the gospel this morning. Let us press into the blessing that is ours only through Christ. As we close today, I want to just speak a word of blessing over this church. And I just want to bless you as you go out to serve this community and to serve this world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom 
in Christ. Let's pray. God, you created us with a longing for your blessing. And we chase after every other blessing but yours. God, forgive us. Transform us through the blessing of your son. God, I don't know who in this room needs to hear that, those words from you today. My child, my beloved child, I am so pleased with you. God, in Christ, we are your children. We are your blessed children. We are your loved children. God, too many of us live through life as orphans, longing for the blessing of others, when the only blessing that truly matters is ours in Christ. Help us to live in light of that blessing. And God, through that, use us to be a blessing to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.